Colin Williams. And I'm Ian Rowlands. And welcome to Beneath the Stream, a podcast about the human experience in the non-human world. And Ian, um, I have a list of films for you to begin today's podcast. I wasn't expecting that. And what do the following films have in common? The Blair Witch Project, Deliverance, The Legend of Boggy Creek, Long Weekend, The Ritual, Back Country. Are they all movies where you've made yourself sick eating popcorn? <laughs> Yeah, they're all movies I haven't watched alone. Okay, yes. I, I would... Uh, even now, The Blair Witch Project still scares me to watch it. So mm. are we we in the forest, yeah? We are in the forest. Okay. And of course, that's what today's podcast mm-hmm. is about. It's about the wild wood um, and the forest. And, and we're in a wild wood. We're in a very famous wild wood in Suffolk called Staverton Thicks. Mm. This is your backyard, Ian. What, what I, can I you lo- tell us about I Staverton love, Thicks? I love this place. I came here as, as a... As a boy, the first time, and was was sort of um, astonished by it because they are closest to your childhood imaginings of what wild, magical woodland is. I mean, I know a lot more about forests now, but uh, yeah, I mean, just to just to give some setting here, we're sat on a a mossy, falling, rotted tree, deep greenery around us, leaf litter everywhere, a dense tangle of enormous holly trees, sort of blocking out the view, other than the mighty trunks, the boles of these ancient oaks. Uh, some of the trees over 400 years old, maybe 500 years old, and they've been historically pollarded. The, the top branches cut out, the trunk has grown thicker. These haven't been pollarded for a long, long time, but they've been managed by humans. But what you're left with are these incredible staghead oaks, they call them, which are they, they, they look like they've got antlers, like they're elk or deer. And, uh, and the whole landscape dotted with little jewel-like red holly berries that the birds are stripping off and you can maybe hear the birds behind us. So it's um, it's a wondrous place. And it's a place that writers have found inspiration in. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of uh, picked up on this feeling about the woodlands with uh, the book Gossip from the Forest by Sarah Maitland. Uh, the Tangled Roots of Our Forests and Fairy Tales. And, and I think that that title captures the spirit of this place. And I didn't know you were going to mention Sarah Maitland oh. there, uh, because as I was doing some research ahead of this podcast, I had um, looked up um, Sarah Maitland, also really enjoyed her book, Gossip from the Forest. And in an article in a newspaper, she listed some of her, um, her favourite books associated with the forest. And it's not only cinema that the forest has um, has inspired, not only um horror film directors that the forest has drawn in but but also writers as you say and so here are some of the books that she mentioned so where the wild things are by maurice sendak mm. the great children's classic the fairy tales of Jacob and wilhelm grimm so grimm's fairy tales <laughs> as you like it by shakespeare walden or life in the woods by henry david thoreau which Wonderful. is a, which is a classic yeah. of of life in the woods um wood by andy goldsworthy the Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And I, I had forgotten that The Scarlet Letter contains some key things that happen um, in the forest. And I'll add two more um, of my own. The Consolations of the Forest, Alone in a Cabin in the Siberian Tiger by Sylvain Tesson. <laughs> and uh, Wild Wood by Roger Deakin. And, um, and Roger Deakin wrote in the introduction of, of Wild Wood um, about what it means to humans to enter woods and he said to enter a wood is to pass into a different world in which we ourselves are transformed it is no accident that in the comedies of shakespeare people go into the greenwood to grow learn and change 
It is where you travel to find yourself, often paradoxically, by getting lost. Merlin sends the future King Arthur as a boy into the greenwood to fend for himself in the sword in the stone. There he falls asleep and dreams himself like a chameleon into the lives of the animals and the trees. So, so it, it is a place of folklore and that conjures spells and magic. And Sarah Maitland kind of added to that really um, in her book where she said, a remarkable number of people seem to share this feeling. I wanted to work out what was going on, so I went into the woods and revisited the old fairy tales, especially those by the Brothers Grimm. And what became clear to me was that the stories were imaginatively rooted in our northern European origins as people of the forest. <laughs> so, figuratively, actually, imaginatively, are we still people of the forest, do you think? I, I kind of want to contest that, in a way, um, because... Uh, um it's almost like I've seen a writer refer to it as Sherwood Syndrome, <laughs> okay. where, where, where the, the British in particular have this attachment to the myth of the, the green wood. Um, we'll come to that. I think dealing with this place, you know, all those authors that you mentioned, and Sarah Maitland is work I love, and the great forest book of England is Woodlands by Oliver Rackham. He described this place as a, a famous and awesome place of Tolkien-esque wonder and beauty. So he's kind of alluding to... Lord as in Staverton yeah exactly Staverton yeah. here and, and I guess he's alluding to uh, Lord of the Rings and Fangorn Forest and uh, the, the beauty and wonder that goes with it so that's there and it's been recognised by uh, biologists studying forest but the evidence for the fact that we are creatures of the forest and that that stretches back and that we are trying to harken back to some golden age of being in the forest it's not entirely there you know, sort of uh, studies looking at uh, England, for example, around 1086, shortly after the the Doomsday Book was written, about 15% of England mm. was woodland. Mm. So you have to go back a very long time for the land to have been covered in forest and for us to have this people of the Greenwood mythology really true. So it's sort of, a, it feels a little bit like the, uh, the desire we all have to harken back to some golden Elysian time. But. And if Sarah Maitland is right about our northern European um, connection to these forests, that also um, then conjures up the creatures of the forest like wolves and bears and those sorts of yeah, things. And yeah. the farm where my family used to farm has, has a Welsh name, um, but what it actually means in English is Wolf Point. Yeah. And so this farm that was slap bang in the middle of what was once a well-treed area um, uh, uh, and, and called Wolf Point um, now kind of stands alone in open country um, where all this woodland has gone but also we um, shouldn't be too hasty to judge the woodland of um, ancient England or even medieval England as the type of woodland we see here and the type of things we associate with the wild wood because what Oliver Rackham w will, says in in his excellent book and what other um, ecological historians have reminded of us that, that for a very long time humans have used woodland and perhaps if we were here um, a, a thousand years ago what we would see is possibly not this dense tangle of woodland but what we would see is something that um, they, would, they might have um, willow hurdles um, surrounding certain parts of things, keeping in certain bits of sure. livestock, which they can then move around. There we would see um, the 
upward smoke of mm. charcoal clamps, um, which uh, we would see people gathering nuts yeah. Um, yeah. and all sorts of things going. So the idea of the single-use woodland is a modern idea. It's, it's what we have created as a place that is wild and interesting. Humans for a very long time have been shaping this woodland and using it for many, many things. There's a very practical relationship humans have with the non-human world. This was a... Um, a rich produce site really mm. you know it was like it had the things that you needed to to build with to keep yourself warm and to to forage for etc or things that you could sell so i i get that I, I i guess i was being a little bit deliberately obtuse but i can see that um, our attachment to forest as nature's home if you like the place that we retreat to has some basis in that you know and, and it's a place of uh, sanctuary shall we say let's imagine that um here we are in staverton and in the seventh century you've got you know anglo-saxon tribal lands here and it's being cleared to be productive but the woods are being used um and then subsequent to that you've got a long history of the forest being used ever since you know right through till relatively modern times so up until the sort of 1920s here this thick tangle of woods was productive in some way the holly would have been cut down and fed mm. to the livestock in the winter yeah i get it but i think there is um i'm willing to concede there's a deeper human human attachment to forest i loved it when you talked about shakespeare it's a place where his characters go for transformation and i can't deny that you know i've come here all that time trying to capture something in myself mm. of the wildness reflected around me by the trees which is much harder to feel in some other places. So I want to just uh, take you back a couple of steps there, and so I think the next thing that it would be fun to discuss is why it's a place of storytelling. Why is woodland a thing that creates myths of, of its own? So, so why do you think that is? Um, I, I guess my, my first reaction, because I wasn't expecting that question, will be because it harbours beasts. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure that there are many stories beyond that. But um, it, it, in medieval times, the, the extirpation, the ridding of the wolves and other predators from the land was, was, was a focus. You know, make sure you didn't get eaten. And the, the forest became a place where those terrors remained. Mm. Uh, yes, because they retreated into the forest. You could go back to yeah. Beowulf. You could yeah. go back to whatever, and, and yeah. they retreated to the forest, and that was the place those things lived. So storytelling about the perils, the mysteries that lay in the forest would have been key. Is that what you were thinking? Yeah, no, I think so. And, and I, don't, I don't think they were dead. I was looking for a correct answer, as it were. You passed. Well done. Um, I, I wasn't really looking for a single answer there, but just to, to, to see what you felt about why it is that stories emerge from the tangle of the forest to to greet us and enter our culture and enter our mm-hmm. our imaginations um and our childhoods and a lot of those things that stalk us from the forest and enter our childhood imagination stay with us for a very very long time yeah and it, and it got me wondering i think there's there was two key questions also that i wanted to think about today is that what what causes us to fear the forest or what causes us to create stories that make us fear the forest but what causes us to love it and be drawn to it? So we have this odd love-hate relationship with the wild wood. We, we so desperately want to move in it and, and feel it 
uh, and enjoy it. But at the same time, um, as humans, we also um, are aware that you know Hollywood directors are going to make us never want to step in the forest again because of uh, what happened in the Blair Witch Project or the Legend of Boggy <laughs> Creek, one of my personal favourites. Um, so, so what causes us to to, to fear it? So, you t- so I, I, I was listening to you speaking then and, and kind of going through processes in my head. There's a density of otherness here that I don't think you find in other... I'll use the word habitats, which would be the ecologist phrase, but in other places. There's an otherness which is... We are densely surrounded by living beings here. Mm. You know, the trees in many myths and stories are alive or come to life or walk or do something. So we actually are hemmed in on all sides by living things. When you're out on the grasslands or you're on the, the moorland or the mountaintop, the presence of the mountain, for example, would be the thing. But you're not observing in detail every blade of grass and thinking of it as a, an otherness, a living being around you. So that's this forest here, you know, a thousand years ago, was not only filled with living beings, trees close to us, which we don't know what they're feeling doing thinking but other creatures that could potentially chew your arm off were yep. there too so uh, that that would be my take on it um i actually find myself in forest very hard to go within you know it's not a place i would come for meditation it's not a place i would come to be creative inside my head interesting because too much going on around you is it, is uh, yeah that? but i think it's too it's just profound influences all around I can understand being on a mountain top and being reflective, or you know, sort of a, as a sort of a Tibetan <laughs> Buddhist monk feel to it. But it, this place is brimming with with immediate life. There could be because I believe in these things, spiritual life here too. But it feels alive. Uh, it's so interesting you said that. And again, we haven't pre-prepared any of these conversations. Mm. But uh, in in my notes here, I, I wrote a similar thing. Um, forests are close in around us they as you say they don't naturally allow you space to think or space to breathe a large collective surface area very close in around us which which naturally means a concentration of life every tree trunk every every frond of of bracken which is around us here um i don't i don't know what these uh, i don't know what these little star shaped um sort of are they sort of liverworts or yeah it's a moss. sort of mosses yeah, yeah. Um, around us every surface um, that there's a there's a lot of surface area and, and things living on every surface um, and so yeah you have all this noise going on For, forests are rarely quiet places um, it, I mean I have been in forest where it's been deep deep snow and that's the perhaps the closest I've mm-hmm. felt to a forest that has gone quiet um, because maybe all, all you can hear is just the calls of, of small birds and you might see an animal track in the snow but otherwise, a lot quieter than this forest is now, and certainly a lot quieter than a forest in springtime or summertime. Um, and and it's it's a very unsettling experience to be in a silent forest mm. because it's just not built into our muscle memory to to be in a forest and things are quiet. It's a very strange experience. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I'd not thought of it that way. As you were talking, I was thinking when I've been in ancient forests uh, in winter. There's often a lot more evidence of life in the terms of footprints in the snow yeah. than you might find elsewhere. I mean, I've been in um, Białowieża Forest, which is on the on the sort of Polish border with Belarus, and uh, it's it's considered to be you know Europe's stand of uh, 
the nearest thing to the ancient high woodland. Very tall trees, uh, and tremendous a mixture of species, and it's uh, alive with birds and invertebrates in the summer. It has lynx and wolf and things like that still in it. And in the winter, you, you do see evidence that those things are there, even in the silence. So... Um, they're full of life. I, I was thinking, because we're here in the Greenwood of England, and I was thinking, but, you know, I've been in um, various parts of the Amazon, the Amazon Basin, you know, and Napo was one that I remember particularly, and it's sort of a similarly brimful of life, you know, and uh, Aboriginal forests you know, in, in um, northern Queensland, you know, you can feel so much around you. Does that make sense? It, make, it makes perfect sense, and it, um, and I, I can understand now, as, as you've described that, um, I can understand now what you mean about forests aren't a place for you to come and think about other things. For, forests are a place for you um, to come to and be absorbed in it, um, not absorbed in yourself, um, <laughs> but to be absorbed in your in your surroundings. And I also think one of the um, other things is that. So they have no landmarks because because everything is close in. You have very few points of reference. Mm. Um, but for me, forests are a place without um, recognisable landmarks because I don't look at trees and remember them a, a lot. Although although people that you know pe- uh, rainforest people, I'm guessing the Bakka people, yeah, are the forest yeah, in. <laughs> yeah, us moving through, they can move through their their home ground as easily and recognisably as we would walking through London. I think it speaks of our unfamiliarity with forest, mm. you know, and, and that, that, that we don't recognise one tree from another is our failing, not the trees. Yes, but, uh, exactly but, that. But, but it is true, and of course, it, you know, the, the kind of... Uh, the reality is that we're losing forests at an alarming rate. Um, we've lost 50% of ancient forest in Britain since the 1930s. 50% was there. Uh, at the time of us recording this, we know that the, the Amazon is disappearing at an alarming rate. So people communities that familiarity with dense forest is very much going to become a thing of the past uh, people won't have that that knowledge kind of sad isn't it really mm. alone ecologically desperately sad but uh, sad for human communities who we we relied on that knowledge or that link with the wards i suppose that, that will disappear Another thing that uh, in, impacts on my belief as to why I think we fear the forest um, is um, the idea of becoming lost. Hmm. I was going to plunge off into that earlier and I, I kind of forgot to go to it, but I think, um, can you think of another non-human place that's more terrifying to be lost in than the forest? You know, I, I, the mountains, well, it's, the yeah. moors, maybe. Yeah, but you always feel like you're going to find your way down. Yes, yes. You know, you just find yeah. the slope, go down, get to yeah. a river, find a river, find le- a road, lead your way yeah. out. Mm. Lost in the forest, wandering in circles, never recognizing one tree from another. That's kind of terrifying, isn't it? It is, and I think I'm going to I'm going to add another layer of fear and terror now. <laughs> it's not only being lost, but being watched. Ah. And so, okay. because we've described the forest as... And I'm now looking around me nervously. <laughs> um, yeah, because everything is so close in and there are lots of 
barriers to a clear view. Yeah. Um, there's lots of places for things to hide. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's any mistake whether you believe in um, things like Sasquatch or Bigfoot or, or you don't believe in them. You can absolutely understand where those stories come from in a forest because it is a thing in which an upright creature could go unnoticed for a long while. Um, whether that is something um, less than human, like uh, in the legend of Bigfoot or Sasquatch, or even worse, is another human. Another human gone off the rails, you mean? Yeah. I, look, I, I, I understand and, and can absolutely feel in my bones when you say it that some creature slips in behind the trees and could actually be very close to you observing you the whole time and you, and you wouldn't know uh, it could be us we've just seen some people walk through the forest they had no idea we're here mm. uh, and so you could be very close to people behind the trunks of the trees behind the canopy the foliage peering out they wouldn't know so yes the other it, absolutely something we, we live in a country here where if you're in North America, there'll be creatures in the forest. If you're in Australia, Asia, uh, in some parts of mainland Europe, in Britain, there's very few uh, natural predators that could come and menace you. So, but we still fall, especially in Suffolk, I think, where there's a, you know, a lot of forest cover in this area around here. A lot of myths and legends that go with it, whether it's uh, the hound black shark, or it's you know, kind of. Uh, otherworldly beings or it's hairy men or you know this sort of or it's ufos yeah exactly yeah. so yeah. we're in a place where the, the mysterious is noted forms part of ancient myth but also contemporary legend you know so the, the landscape is imbued with that so mm. yeah that's mm. that's a big part of and i love it personally but that's easy to say in in the daylight walking through the forest on your own at night the imagination plays tricks, doesn't it, as we know. And a film we've mentioned before um, in our podcast about fear um, is, is Robert Eggers' The Witch. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's an immense feeling of being watched, um, a very heavy presence um, in that film and uh, about being watched from the woodlands. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can stand on the edge of a wood in the gathering dusk or, it, or in the case of some pine forests, stand at the edge of a wood in broad daylight and be looking into blackness, utter blackness. And so someone or something could be just beyond where the darkness begins, in, in otherwise plain sight, not behind a tree, and still be watching you. It, it's a very, very powerful, imaginative thing. Um, and the terminology the used there was someone or something. Mm. It wasn't a wolf or a bear or a predatory no. animal it was actually something non-human and non-familiar and we're, we're kind of always back to the brothers grim there yeah, aren't yeah. we and, and yeah. this is what children stumble across in the forest so my next question really is that is the counterfactual to that so we have all these reasons why we fear it and why our storytellers um, use it as a place of of horror and terror um, but what causes us to love it and be drawn to it? And, and I had a few thoughts on that. Go on then, yeah. One is uh, escape and adventure. Um, so the idea that, you know, you can run into the wood and live in the trees yeah. and become that Robin Hood character mm -hmm. um, that, that everybody has a slight hankering after that. You, you look around and you think, I could, 
I could Ray Mears this place. <laughs> I, I, I could live here. There's, I, there's, could, there's, I could survive. There's, there's, there's much to bushcraft here and, yes. and, and, and live off. Yeah. That's right. Um, another thing is, is hiding. And so we might be running away from something. And what better place to run away from something and, and so people can't find us yeah. than, than the forest. Really. Yeah. So there's a deep-seated childhood thing there as mm-hmm. well to so, run away. Yeah, and Grizzly Adams. Yeah, yeah. E- exactly that. Um, there's the hole that is created, uh, W-H-O-L-E, um, <laughs> from the scents and sounds and sights of the forest. And, and scent is a really powerful yeah. one for me. Yeah. Um, and do, do you recognise those things, so escape and adventure, hiding I away? do, because and... because I think some of the places that um, I would be most drawn to, and if somebody said, OK, we're going to click your fingers and we'll, we'll, you'll be there, could be some of those great forest wilderness places, you know, suddenly to be in... Um, Olympic National Park in Washington State, you know, with a huge coniferous trees and deep coverings of moss on everything, and it's sort of um, temperate rainforest, but deep, wild, and mysterious. You know, I'd, these are places that I have a special fondness for. Mm. So, you know, it's they're not places I fear; they're places that you want to go and play in, and adventure in, and experience them. Um, they're magical places. They're, they're places of enchantment and places of play and adventure and discovery and, and life is so much poorer without time spent in them. It was very interesting for me. I spent some time in, in Massachusetts. People resident in Massachusetts would be very familiar with this, but I wasn't. But you, you would be in these magical forests and come across uh, small lakes down by beavers and there's woodpeckers and there's all sorts of wonderful creatures there. The black bear returning to Massachusetts and there's porcupines clambering around in the trees, etc., etc. And then you come across a stone wall. And these were areas that had been cleared. And there are thousands of miles of stone wall in the forests of Massachusetts. So the forests have been cleared. um, The stones made into walls and uh, fields opened up. And then the frost and the deep temperatures heaves up more stones into the fields. Um, I understood that when they were clearing the fields, they, they felt it was the devil's work producing more stones in the land for them to clear, but they kept clearing them, so they built these walls. And and now the forest is reclaiming those areas that were farmed. The population's moved into the towns and cities. So you actually have ancient-looking deep forest, mysterious and easy to lose yourself in, riddled with the evidence of humans not so long ago. So I find that equally magical. Mm. The forest, the the very sort of primeval forests of Poland... um, and there are sections of that where, as we talk about forests, the wildwood reclaiming things, there are sections of that where um, where you can still find the uh, remnants of um, Jewish villages mm. and Jewish graveyards mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, grave markers, um, where those villages having been cleared um, during the Holocaust, the wildwood now reclaiming those places and and it's 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 an incredible thing to come across signs of human life in a in a place where you felt you had no right to to come across it 
the forests are always going to draw us for different reasons um, even if it's just to um, escape or hide or be alone with a billion other creatures <laughs> because that's what it's like here in the forest you feel in in so many ways part of what's going on around us and that's what i think the wild wood can do it can repel us attract us um, fascinate us scare us like kind of no other no other place really i think it's sort of uh it's something we we're both drawn to neither of us have necessarily live in the forest we both live out of the forest they're quite damp cold forbidding places a lot of the time but they're full of all the things that we need and i love the way you describe that thank you for listening you can find out more about all the things we've discussed today at our website at beneaththestream.com and you can find us on itunes and on podbean 